Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter, as we talked about college football, the MLB, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, your weekly turtle tab, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 141. Fun fact, Iowa State... Beat you and I last weekend, this past weekend. Uh, that's that's the fun fact for today, because we need to talk about that game. Yeah. I mean, was it impressive? No, not really. Did they win? I would. I, I mean, I would argue it was the opposite of impressive. What is the opposite of impressive? Depressive? Is that a word? I... I mean, it was very, it was a very lackluster performance, I would say, except all but maybe the defense. Yeah, I mean, the defense did play well. They held you and I to 10 points. The final score was 16 to um, was 16 to 10, Iowa State coming out with the victory. Basically, the defense gave up two big plays the entire game on two uh, passes where they failed to tackle somebody. Other than that, the defense was dominant. Um, midway through the second quarter, you and I had minus 15 yards rushing still. And that was after they had scored all 10 of their points for the game. Um, so the defense was, was quite solid. You and I couldn't get anything going on the ground outside of a few tackling snafus in the first, uh, the first half, as I mentioned. Um, the team played really, really well. The defense, I should say, played really, really well. The offense was a different story, but the defense played really, really well. Um, yeah. The off- Oh, go ahead, Kyle. I, I was just going to echo that. I mean, the, the defense only gave up 45 yards on the ground uh, the entire game, and they they did give up more passing yards than uh, we actually had through the air, Iowa State, as an offense. But like Mike said originally, this was mainly because of that one play. Uh, how many yards was that? on that pass a 40 or a 52 yard touchdown reception where they had a uh it was a broken tackle it was actually mike rose who missed the tackle there which was kind of surprising but um the defense played very very well only 40 yards on the ground uh they interceptions two interceptions one of them one of them should have been dropped um it was, it was a play on – it was an interception on fourth down. It would have given the Cyclones better field position had we had dropped it. But in the heat of the moment, uh, I can see why they – Aishim Young actually intercepted it. Uh, but the final interception was one that kind of sealed the game for the Cyclones on the on UNI's last-ditch attempt uh, at marching down the field. Um, but no turnovers – for the Cyclones, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. That's correct. Yeah, no turnovers on the day, and Iowa State had two sacks as well. So they were able to disrupt the quarterback a little bit, even though he was more of a um, mobile quarterback getting out and scrambling, but they held him in check. And one one thing going back to last season uh, for the Cyclones, they gave up zero points in the second quarter in this game and dating back to last season in the second half or in the second half is what I meant. Yeah. Uh, Dating back to last season, they've allowed uh, fewer than, or they've allowed 16 points in the second half combined in their last six games 
um, which is pretty, pretty dominant. And I think that's something that's going to have to continue uh, for this team in order to, if their offense is as lackluster as it was in this game. Yeah. The offense uh, certainly was a little lackluster. Um, they were, the offense was playing without um, Charlie Corla. He was out with a lower leg injury. Um, it sounds like it's not um, super severe. He practiced on Monday um, after the game. So the expectation, my expectation, nobody on the Cyclones has said this. My expectation is that he'll suit up and play against Iowa and the Cyhawk on Saturday, but he was out. Um, so I give the offense a little bit of a pass there because, um, because their best receiver was out. Their best pass catcher was out. Right. Um, I think that makes a big difference in blocking as well. I think he's a huge, um, he's got a huge impact on blocking in the run game. Uh, I think that's why Brees Hall wasn't as effective as you've seen him uh, most of last year. I think he ended with under 80 yards rushing in this game. He only had 69 yards on the ground. Yeah. So on under, 23 attempts, I think it was yeah, about a three, three yard average. So not exactly. super efficient. Um, Brock Purdy wasn't spectacular, but he was solid. He ended up 21 for 26 for 199 yards. Um, Xavier Hutchinson played a really good game um, for Iowa State in the wide receiver core. To me, the thing that needs to get better is the offensive line. I was disappointed in the play of the offensive line um, on offense. I think that um, they, they need, I mean, their job is to block. So if they didn't do good, they need to block better. I mean, that's pretty simplistic. But I feel like Brock Purdy didn't have enough time to get good throws in some of those situations. And uh, Brees Hall didn't have the holes we normally um, would have expected him to have. I think that hurt us a little bit. So the offensive line is going to need to play better. And I think that's going to be the key. And I think having Charlie Kohler helps that because he can block well um, on run plays as well as um, split out into the slot on pass plays. And Well, and one thing – that you mentioned the offensive line play. I I was super frustrated with it. I, goal to go, uh, fourth quarter. Goal to go, fourth quarter. They bring in the jumbo package, including two offensive linemen that they set up in the backfield. And I also really didn't understand this play call either. They ran a stretch play to the to the near side. Yeah, I as don't know well. why you run outside. Don't there. you? And to the near side, to the short field. They ran a stretch play. They got absolutely zero push from the right side of the line, and it just didn't work. Run between the tackles. It's goal to go uh, on third down, and I would say run it again on fourth and goal um, with the defense playing as well as it was. But that was one thing that frustrated me. They got zero push, and Brees Hall got dropped for a loss on that carry, and it was just super frustrating, uh, especially in those situations where this offensive line with that experience should be able to get a push up front. If right, they can't they, do it against you and I, how do we expect to do it against the big boys in Texas or OU, K-State even, who has solid defensive linemen? Especially because that was with about six minutes left in the game. So that touchdown would have virtually put away the game, right? It would have put ISU up two scores with six minutes left where you and I hasn't done it, hadn't done anything since the second quarter on offense, it would have, it would have put the game away. So that was, it was disappointing not to be able to do anything in that goal to go situation. Um, 
we got Iowa coming up. Unless I guess does anybody have any other thoughts about? I, uh, I do have one more yeah, thought. Uh, one thing to watch coming up here is the the status and the health of Orion Vance. Uh, he got hurt, I believe, in the third quarter, maybe of this game, um, and was taken out. Uh, his replacement seemed to play pretty well. I will say that the linebackers were flying across the field. Jake Hummel had a 10 tackle game uh, yeah. on defense. Mike Rose was shooting gaps and, and getting to people and, and kind of slowing them down, if not stopping him them, himself. But that'll be something to watch that Mike linebacker position that Orion Vance, uh, that void. Now, if he's unable to go against Iowa, that is a big, big loss for this team. Yeah, any losses on defense would be big for this game because based on what I saw from these two teams in week one, uh, we're not going to see a high-scoring affair in, um, in this game. Iowa may have scored, um, Iowa may have scored uh, 34 points against Indiana, but if you look at their offensive stats, is nothing super impressive. I mean, they scored... Uh, well, Mike, they had two pick sixes. Yes, they had two pick sixes. And another uh, another drive that was set up super short field in which they converted on a field goal by another interception. Yeah. So so Iowa dominated on defense, but their offense, I mean, their quarterback was 13 of 27 for 145 yards. Their leading rusher was still less than 100 yards despite uh, getting a 56-yard run in the first minute and a half of the touchdown run in the first minute and a half of the game. So like that offense didn't dominate despite the score. Their defense was phenomenal. I was defense was phenomenal. I won't take away from that, but their offense was not dominant. I'm not, nothing in that Iowa game made me scared of the Iowa offense. Um, I mean, I'm expecting a, a defensive struggle um, in I think it was, I looked this up today. I believe it was five out of the last eight Cyhawk games. The winning team is at 20 points or less. Um, Cyhawk games tend to be low scoring. Um, I think 20 point, And again, I think 20 points will be enough to win this game. I don't think both teams are getting over 20 points in this game. It seems, um, seems unlikely. I, yeah. I, I see it as like a 23 max in this game, that type of, game where it's maybe like a 23-17 or a 23-20. to Yeah, I do think both teams are going to open up the playbook a little bit more than they did um, in week one. I thought Iowa State's plays on offense were a little bit vanilla. They didn't spice it up much. Um, but I, I, think, I think it'll be an interesting game. It'll be a fun game. Um, the line opened up with Iowa State as three-and-a-half-point favorites. Um, it's turned into four-point favorites um, since um, the line opened yesterday. So right now, ISU minus four at home against Iowa. Um, I, it's going to be a great game. Um, again, I think the matchup to watch is going to be um, Iowa State safeties who had tackling and containment issues in the first half against UNI. So position group to watch is ISU safeties. And then Iowa State's offensive line against Iowa's defensive line. Iowa's defensive line is really good, especially against the rush. So we'll see if Iowa State can get any push to give Brees Hall some running room, because um, we'll probably need him to have more than seventy yards if we're gonna if we're gonna come out with the win against Iowa. So those are your two things to watch: the Iowa State offensive line and the Iowa State safety. Yeah, I I 
agree with all of that. I, I would say that my position group to watch is the linebackers, especially watch that, that injured list for Orion Vance as the week progresses. Um, if, if he has a big gap there, I imagine that I was going to go a little bit run heavy towards the middle, um, especially with that three-man front that Iowa State is so uh, famous for or known for uh, over the recent years um, from that and try and target that Mike linebacker position and see if they can get some early early breathing room through the middle. Um, and I would say watch the tight ends in this game, especially Charlie Kohler, and see see if he's able to help out in the run game a lot and if he is an effective weapon uh, in the passing game. If not, maybe that'll open up some more lanes for uh, Xavier Hutchinson and Tyreek, or, uh, Tariq Milton as well on the outside if he gets a little bit more of that um, that heavy coverage towards the center of the field. So those those are my two position groups for, for us to watch this week as we match up with Iowa. Yep. Um, I want to go back to two things about the UNI game that I've got. One, I know Will McDonald limped off at one point in the second half. Did he come back into that game? He he did make a return into that game. I believe it was just an ankle injury for him. Uh, he probably got retaped and he was good to go. Um, Second, his PN plus sucks. I don't know how, who else of you was watching that game. I was. PN plus. First of all, love Seneca Wallace. Not a good college football announcer. Both of those announcers. Oh, sorry, not Seneca Wallace. It was uh, what's his name? The other Iowa State quarterback who's famous. What's his name? Uh, I for, I forget who it was. He was a Vikings backup to. Oh, what's his name? Can't remember anymore. Anyway, he was bad. Um, sorry, Seneca Wallace. You were not on the broadcast. You were not bad. I apologize to you. He might be better. He might be. Yes. Um, the, the announcing was bad. The production truck was bad. Um, they couldn't figure out how to put the uh, ball line and the first down line on the field. Like that's been standard and easy for the last 15 years. Like how hard is that to figure out? Um, they don't know what play action is. The camera at least half a dozen, if not more times in this game, followed the wrong person. Um, they had technical difficulties in the last two minutes of the game. Nobody watching on ESPN plus could watch the last two and a half minutes of that game because they had technical difficulties. It was just an awful broadcast. And ESPN the, Plus did not earn themselves any points with Iowa State fans or the conference from that and, and the camera angle was absolutely terrible, the ones that they implemented. They had some terrible shots in there and it, just poor production all the way around. Yeah, it was it was just awful. Not, no, thankfully not thankfully, if you won't be at this game this coming weekend, like some of your uh actually all of your uh, 8311 cast hosts will be no. in attendance at this game. Uh, this game is on ABC. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike. So correct. hopefully it will be a much better broadcast. Yeah, um, I assume we're going to get ESPN's either ESPN's A crew or B crew for this game. There are only two games between ranked opponents this week. The other one is um, Ohio State, Oregon. And I'm not sure Oregon will be ranked um by the end of this didn't they lose as well this last week or am i thinking of somebody else uh oregon did win oh they did okay none of the washington schools won. washington lost yeah sorry that's what it was oregon did beat fresno state 31 24 i apologize to oregon i i wonder if the kirk herbstreet might make an appearance with chris fowler but it isn't the night game so 
I, that, I correct myself that Oregon, Ohio State game is a Fox game as opposed to an ESPN Networks game. Mm-hmm. So I presume we get the ES the the ESPN day crew, uh, a crew for that game. So so that's Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit could be on the call. Uh, Kirk Herbstreit won't have to fly anywhere uh, since he will already be on site in Ames, Iowa, as the college game day crew is coming to Ames again. An- another rendition of college aimed Ames day for the Cyhawk rivalry. It's, it's very unique to see that they're at least caring enough about their, they, they see value in this rivalry now uh, between these two schools to come to Ames base almost two years in a row uh, for this game. Well, I mean, it's going to be a top 15 matchup. Um, Iowa state will, uh, Iowa will move up enough spots after that domination of Indiana, I presume to uh, end up top 15. Um, and Iowa State's not going to fall very far when the new rankings come out. I'd be surprised if they're still not top 10. Um, you didn't dominate, but you won. Just win. That's really all that matters. If Iowa State goes 12-1, and one, no one's going to care that they only beat you and I by six when it comes to the college football playoff combination. Nobody's going to look and said. Uh, if they would have beat you and I by 14, they'd be in, but they only did it by six. Eh, no one's going to care. You won. Really, that's all that matters. So and, Iowa State will still attain that top 10 ranking. And the fact of the matter is Northern Iowa isn't a slouch in the FCS by any means. Northern Iowa is in the Missouri Valley Conference with North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and those those are your powerhouse teams in the Missouri Valley Conference. They they're typically a uh, eight, nine win team every single season. Um, so they've got a great program and they're no slouch of an FCS team to play when it comes to playing an FCS team. Yes. Um, they're ranked as num- they're ranked number 21 in FCS. So it's not like they're a bottom feeder um, FCS team. And that's 21 after the loss. So, um, so yeah, they're a, they're a solid team. They're certainly not a, uh, not a bad team there. So in the end you won. Um, but yes, college game day live. Is it 7am or 8am that they start Kyle? What time is college game? day? 8am uh, central. Yeah. 8am, um, 8am to 11am. I assume they'll be setting up um, sort of in that plaza area um, by Lehman gardens over there where they set up in 2019. Though I haven't right, seen that uh, just in front of the souk up end zone club. Correct. So look for them out there if you want to um, want to stop by and watch some college game day, maybe be on TV. Um, if you want to be in the front row, get there early. I was in the second row two years ago when they came, and I had to get there at 3.30 in the morning. So if you want to be that close, get there early. I also don't recommend that. wasn't worth it. Like get there closer to like 6, 7. You'll still get a good spot. You'll still be able to see and hear everything, and you don't have to get up quite – um, quite as ridiculously early. That's my college game day recommendation for me. Unless you want to be the guy in the front row who dumps an entire vat of mayonnaise on himself to be on live television. Don't do that either. That is not worth it. Zero out of 10 would not recommend doing that. Um, but so college game day will go from 8 to 11 a.m. Um, the Cyhawk game kicks off at 3.30 p.m. Um, from Jack Trice Stadium. Current weather forecast calls for only a 3% chance of rain, so hopefully we won't have too long rain delays like we did in 2019. It should be a beautiful day for football. 
Um, and we'll wrap up all about it on next week's episode of 8311 Cast. Um, do you um, guys remember like two weeks ago where I said football season was starting? So you could probably stop thinking about um, conference realignment until the end of football season because nothing was going to happen. Do you guys remember when I said that? I do vaguely remember that, but um, I have a feeling that since you're bringing it up in such a, uh, I don't, I don't know your tone of voice right now, I guess, uh, since you're bringing it up so enthusiastically, I would say you probably have some sort of update. Yeah, I was, I was wrong. It's very, I'm very glad I didn't make that as a write that down prediction because I was very, very wrong. Um, this last week it broke that um, BYU is Cincinnati, UCF and Houston are all going to receive offers to join the Big 12 later this week, and they all will probably accept those offers um, and be approved by Friday. So basically by Friday um, of this week before the Cyhawk, it's likely that BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston will all officially be future members of the Big 12. Um, Most of them would be joining in 2023 or 2024, um, based on how their current buyouts with the AAC goes, that would be for Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. BYU is currently an independent in football, which would mean they could technically join the Big 12 in football next season, though they would need to wait longer for their other sports as they must give the Mountain West, or sorry, the West Coast Conference, who they play in for all their other sports, notice that they would leave it. They would be leaving. Um, but those, those teams are all expected to double or triple their current payouts um, from their conference. Um, so it's going to be good for them. I think it's good for the Big 12. I mean, this is, according to um, NCAA sources, it's likely to get what the Big 12 wanted and maintain that Power 5 autonomy. Um, adding these four schools will be good enough to keep that Power 5 autonomy. Um, it's going to be awkward because it's possible that these schools could join before, excuse me, before Oklahoma and Texas leave. So it's quite possible that we could have this 14, a 14 team big 12 for like a year before Oklahoma and Texas leave. Um, that would be a little awkward, um, a little, but uh, it would be kind of fun too. Um, I like that we're expanding. I think these are as good a choices as any, Um, As far as expansion, all of these teams have been relevant in football within the last 10 years. All of them have had top 15 rankings in football at one point within the last 10 years. Especially Cincinnati in the top 10 right now currently. Yeah, Cincinnati's a top 10 team right now. BYU was a couple years ago. Um, UCF, we all know about them in football. And Houston had a, has had a good couple years in the last 10. And, and then if you look towards basketball as well, Houston was just in the final four, correct? Was, they were in the final four? They were right? a two seed. I can't remember if they made it to the final four. Or it was not. either Elite Eight or Final yeah, Four. Yeah, um, really good basketball year too. BYU, not as relevant in basketball recently. Cincinnati has had some good teams, but until they lost uh, – was their head coach? Yep. Uh, and then UCF. I'm not quite yeah. so sure about their basketball team, but you know, we had TCU in the Big 12 conference for a couple of years when they went 0 and 16 in back to back seasons. Um, so yeah, we can't talk about going 0 and uh, everything <clears throat> in that conference basketball anymore since we did it last year. <clears throat> um, 
you know, I was I was hoping we would skate past that, but I don't like uh, to get away with that now. One one thing that I would like to just talk about, Mike, is how do you perceive this? How do you perceive the conference if we do go to twelve teams, setting up a conference football schedule, right? Because you have eleven teams potentially to play in a season, and you only play twelve games. How many non-conference games are you going to roll out? Yeah, at I least think you'll two, right? The, I think you'll stick with the three conference or three non-conference games, um, nine conference games setup that you have now. That's pretty standard across the Power Five. Um, it will mean an end to the round robin scheduling that the Big Twelve has enjoyed since the last round of realignment. I know I really like. Um, I do too, especially in basketball. You play everyone home and away. Yep, and no, no, right in football, nobody complain. Oh, you got. You're in the conference championship game because you had a weaker schedule. Huh? I found Robin scheduling. Everybody played everybody. So, I mean, you can't make make that complaint. Um, I will be sad to see that go. I assume they're going to go to two six-team divisions um, or seven-team divisions if they do have a one awkward year with 14 teams. Um, so I, pre- I predict you'll see, um, you'll see two six-team divisions. I've heard a lot of different ideas and North, division and a south division a new division and an old division you know the old division being the six longer term members of the conference and the new division being the six new ones these four plus uh west virginia and tcu um most yeah and then the six longest schools iowa state kansas kansas state texas tech oklahoma state being um in one division a lot of different options but i assume you'd see um you'd see divisions um, in that, in this case, which like I said, I don't love, don't love the division format. That's for football. There will be no divisions in basketball. Nobody does that really. Um, But for football, you'll see two divisions. So Iowa state will see a lot more of KU and uh, K state for sure. I see no way that those two aren't in Iowa state's division. I think this puts to rest any thoughts of ISU to the big 10. I think, this, I think this means nobody else in the Big 12 is going anywhere. Maybe I'm reading that wrong, but I think the rest of the Big 12 stays intact now with these 12 teams. So if there's any more changes and I'm terribly wrong, again, we will, of course, keep you informed. But for now, there's only four weeks of baseball remaining. We're less than a, less than a month from playoff baseball right now. Kyle, can you fill us in on uh, what's going on across, the, uh, across baseball right now? Uh, yeah, I sure can. Um, with only four weeks left, it's really the push of for the wild card race, right? It's it's gearing up for postseason baseball. Um, as a lot of these teams probably have, you know, what is it, twenty games left now, Mike? Around twenty, I think. Um, twenty three. The Twins have about twenty two games left. Yeah, so. twenty two to twenty three games remaining in the schedule. So in the we'll just jump in, go by league in the American League, uh, both wild card spots are up for grabs. Um, New York, the Yankees and Boston are currently holding those two wild card spots with the Yankees only being a half game up on Boston. Um, but the and well, neither of those teams in all likelihood are probably not going to end up winning that division, especially with the Yankees being three and seven in their past 10 games as Tampa Bay now owns an eight and a half game lead in the East, but in the wild card race, uh, Seattle 
is only two and a half back of Boston, Toronto, three back, Oakland, three and a half back. Those are the uh, three teams that are all still in contention um, for a wild card spot. Everyone else not yet eliminated like Cleveland and Los Angeles, but virtually eliminated um, from playoff contention Uh, in the NL right now, the in divisional in the divisions, uh, Atlanta still hasn't really locked up or grabbed a great hold in the national league East. Uh, Philly is only a game and a half back from them. And the Mets are only four games back uh, as well in that division. In the Central, it looks like Milwaukee is going to go ahead and win that division. They're up 11 games on Cincinnati. It would take pretty much a catastrophic collapse for them not to win. And San Francisco and the Dodgers are jostling back and forth for who's going to end up winning that division and not uh, and escape that one game sudden death. Hey, you could have a bad game after having a really bad season and going home early. Um but they, those two are going to either win the division or be the first wild card spot. There is only essentially one wild card spot up for grabs uh, in the National League as the Dodgers have a 13 and a half game uh, lead over the second wild card spot, which is currently San Diego. Uh, so the five teams all in contention for that final wild card spot are San Diego, Cincinnati, who's a game back, Philadelphia, two games back, St. Louis four or three and a half games back with the resurgence of Adam Wainwright, who has a sub two ERA while being 40 years old, uh, pretty impressive in the second half of the season and the New York Mets who are four and a half games back out of those teams that are potentially out of the playoff picture. If they don't make it into one of those remaining spots, Mike, who, what are those, what are some of the teams that, their fans are probably going to be the most disappointed and irritated at if they don't end up making the playoffs. Um, to me, um, it's going to be Yankees fans, A's fans, Mets fans, and Padres fans are going to be the ones that are going to be the most upset. Um, to go across the AL, Red Sox fans won't be that upset because the Red Sox weren't supposed to be good this year. Right, the Red Sox making the playoffs this year would be a surprise, or should be. Yes, it would hurt that they fell apart. They were leading the division for most of the year, but still, they weren't supposed to be this good. Um, the Yankees and A's should be upset because um, the Yankees should win every year, or at least their fans think they should. Um, and the A's have collapsed here, so that would hurt. Um, Toronto can go back in and can go for it next year. They're uh, in the opening side of a window instead of the closing side and Seattle's fans are just used to being bad. So they really won't be that upset if they don't make the playoffs this year. Um, Mets fans, as we talked about last week are already upset. So we won't talk about that anymore. Um, Padres fans would be upset because of all the deals that they made um, before their farm system is obliterated. Yes. They traded away the entire farm to go for a run here these next couple of years and to miss the playoffs completely or get eliminated in the wild card game would be complete embarrassment for the Padres. Um, Reds fans, again, weren't really expecting to be here, so they wouldn't be that upset. And Philly and St. Louis, I don't know how they'd feel. They'd probably be pretty upset in Philadelphia and St. Louis too. But yeah, to me, Padres, Mets, A's, and Yankees would be the most upset.
if they they failed to make the playoffs. Yeah, I, I would agree with all that. I think if you're a Padres fan and you don't make the playoffs this year, that it is a pretty pretty much, you know, you're thrown in the towel. Like what what's next? When's their next window since the farm system is completely depleted? But we will continue to see what happens in the next four weeks. But a little bit of a curveball in the outline. Uh, this week is basically opening week in the NFL. You have a full 16-game slate coming in hot uh, Thursday through Monday, uh, opening up with Dallas Cowboys at Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Thursday night football. Uh, and Sunday night football, for all you Carrie Underwood fans, Chicago Bears and the L.A. Rams uh, on Sunday night. And Monday night features the Baltimore Ra- Ravens and Las Vegas Raiders out in Allegiant Stadium, the debut of that full stadium. Uh, They're going to have fans there this season. So a full 16-game slate uh, this week. Make sure you set your fantasy lineups if that is something you partake in. But it's it's coming. It's here. Uh, Get excited or be upset if your team is really bad, uh, Jets fans or Cowboys fans. So have fun. Uh, But you know who else? usually has a lot of fun and has been helping baseball be a lot more fun. Mike, do you want to fill us in on some Willems Astadio? Yeah, there's not much to uh, fill you in on Willems Astadio. He only appeared in a couple games this week. Um, He did have a walk, which was exciting. Like you said, he never walks, but he did um, have a walk in um, Sunday's game. Um, He raised his on-base percentage with that – He's on base percentage at 272 now with that walk. So go Willens Astadio and your walk. You walk, twins win. That's what we like to see. Go twins, go Willens Astadio. Um, we are going to have a special guest on Mike's Stupid Rules. And by special guest, it's just a special guest to the rules segment, not to the podcast. Because Wyatt is going to be our guest on Mike's Stupid Rules this week. Wyatt, what do you have for us on Mike's Stupid Rules? So we're going to talk about that false start call uh, in the Iowa State UNI game this past weekend where uh, a defensive lineman encroached in the neutral zone. Uh, Somebody on our line jumped and we got called for a false start. Uh, So let's go back to that play real quick. That happened in the third quarter, I believe, was that false start. Yep. Uh, And it was called on Trevor Downing, who is an offensive lineman. I think he's our right guard, maybe right tackle. Uh, not totally I believe he's the right tackle yeah that, that sounds right um it, it was well, called- that's who they called that's who they called the penalty on at least yes. the yeah. right tackle that was the penalty number 52 is who it was called on so if we look at the penalty for a uh, offside uh we're looking at rule 2 section 18 article 2 uh subsection d where it says after the ball is ready for play offside occurs when a defensive player threatens an offensive lineman causing an immediate reaction before the ball is snapped that to me reads as that call should have been offside, not a false start. However, if you look at the approved ruling um, for this rule, actually, it's the, the approved ruling for rule 7-1-3, uh, uh, the fifth approved ruling there. And 713 is the rule for a false start. Um, the exception to this, or the clarification, I suppose, is that a defensive lineman can only quote-unquote, threaten an offensive lineman who is immediately in front of him. And if there's one immediately in front of him, he can also threaten the uh, the offensive lineman to either side, right? So he has a maximum of three people he can threaten. 
Yep. Or if he's lined up in between two offensive linemen, he can only threaten those two offensive linemen. I don't have uh, the replay footage uh, for this play to look at, but if somebody on the right side of the defensive line encroached and then our right tackle jumped, who is more than two or three people uh, in between on the offensive line, technically that is a false start. So this might have been the correct call, even well, though it's blatantly bad on TV. The player that jumped though was was right next to the the uh, the guy who jumped off sides. I, I guess I don't know if somebody else also moved, but like the player right next to the it was the defensive end for Northern Iowa, or maybe a linebacker playing on the edge. Anyway, the edge rusher for Northern Iowa is who jumped off sides, and then the lineman on the end there immediately was the one who reacted. So, in that case, it should have been offside. Um, right. Like I said, I don't know if somebody else also moved and that's what they called it on, but I, I thought that's what they meant to call it on, but I thought it was somebody on the, the right flank of the defensive end that that was um, encroaching on the neutral. No, but I was my memory. I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't have the replay of this. I wish I did. If anybody yeah. has a full game uh, recap, full game replay, I uh, send it over to us because or, or just like post it on YouTube. Yeah. Or maybe don't because I think that's illegal, but. I don't see that one specific play because that may or may not have been the right call depending on who jumped. But that's something I didn't know is that there is an exception to uh, that offside rule where a defensive player can only threaten a certain amount of offenses. So Interesting. Well, there you go. You did learn something. We didn't determine whether the call was right or wrong, but you did learn something about the rules. And learning about the rules is the point of Mike's stupid rules. We're not here to assign blame. We're here to learn about the rules. So there you go. Thank you, Wyatt. Thank you for guest starring on Mike Stoops. Anytime. Um, moving on to accountability session, we have um, all three of the predictions we made last week about the Iowa State UNI game, of course, came off the board here. Um, first one was for me, who predicted that Iowa State would beat UNI and Iowa by double digits. Six is a single digit, not a double digit, unless we're like in base five or base six or anything less than that but we're not. We live in base 10. So for that, I get a nah. Nah, nah. Um, Josh predicted that ISU score would double UNI. Um, UNI had 10. Iowa State would have had at least 20 to double. They did not. So for that, I get a nah. Nah, nah. Um, and Wyatt predicted that ISU would score on their first drive against UNI. They did not. They went. I believe they went three and out and punted, which is not points. So for that, he gets a nah. Nah, nah. And Kyle made a longer-term prediction, so his didn't come off the board. Um, my prediction is that, um, as I talked about, I expect this to be a defensive struggle in the Cyhawk game. So I am taking the under on the over-under for the Cyhawk game, which is currently 45 points. I'm going to take the under. Mm. That's just a double, right? Or is that a single? According to our math, that's usually a single, just betting a straight line, right? Because it's 50, supposed to be 50-50. I thought our 50-50 was a single. I just wanted to. Yeah, 50, yep. 50, in, so unless you have reason to think Vegas is really wrong with that over-under, it should be a single. Nah, right, that's a single. I don't have a reason to, to think otherwise. So Trust the professionals. I agree. A single is fine for that. What do we got from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Actually, he is. I see his prediction, and that's my prediction. He stole my prediction. Ooh, what do we do here? Do we allow to? Uh, what are the rules about this? I think we can allow it, but that's kind I of. Think, I think we allow it. I'm going to change mine. Okay. 
you can change those. We'll let you. I'll talk. I'll go through Josh's really slow, Sounds so good. you can think a little bit. Josh is predicting that Iowa State will beat Iowa by more than three points. As mm. reference, the line is Iowa State favored by four points. So, by the same rule we used above, this should be a single. Does everyone agree? Single. Yep. Single. Cool. Was that enough time, Wyatt? Are you, are you ready? I got a, a crap prediction up. We're good to go. All right. Sounds good. What is it? I'm going to predict that Iowa State does not punt out of bounds uh, when we play Iowa, just in that one game. We did have one out of bounds punt in the third quarter in the UNI game, which is disappointing, but uh, we're not going to do that again. Uh, uh, something we didn't. Punt... Who's Iowa's punt returner? Is he good? Uh, let me see what he did against Indiana. But for, for everyone paying attention out there, something we didn't mention, how about those uh, Cyclone kickoffs, eh? Out of the end zone? What? Only one non-touchback? Yeah. Only the we, first kickoff of the game was not a touchback. So We love that. All right. So Iowa's punt returner, what he did against Indiana was um, three punts, three punt returns for 28 yards. Uh, so for reference, Indiana punted the ball eight times. Hmm. I think this is probably a double. Uh, I might need to clarify when I say out of bounds, I mean, out of bounds on the sideline between the, just FYI. Yes. Not non-touchbacks. Yep. Yes. I'm thinking sure. double. Sure. Yeah. Why? Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, that's fine with me. Okay. Kyle. Uh, so my prediction, another long lived one uh, is that Bryce Hall or Bryce Hall, Brees Hall <clears throat> will have at least a hundred scrimmage yards per game in the season for reference he did have exactly 100 scrimmage yards scrimmage yards uh against you and i he did have 69 yards rushing and 31 yards through the air hmm. and that's uh, per game through the through the regular season sorry not postseason oh oh he'll average 100 not not just against I. yeah this seems like a single to me i mean there were only two times last year where he didn't get 100 yards rushing yeah. Much less receiving. This is a single. I don't even need to think about this. That is a single. So with three singles and a double, a very low scoring write that down prediction segment. Uh, that concludes the segment, which concludes the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 141. I appreciate y'all sticking around. Make sure you tune in next week for episode 142. Until then, signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Tito. We'll talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Happy hate week. <laughs>